Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Well, welcome to another Word Down Your Way. People about to go on tour talking about memories of shows they've seen and played. And Ron Sexsmith has some dates in in, uh, in London and in Ireland uh, in April and May. Ron, lovely to see you again. How are you? Good, yeah. Thanks for having me back. Uh, you guys are you're in the same lo- locale, right? I see you with all the... Oh, yes. <laughs> we are. And you're, you're presumably... Last time we talked to you two years ago, you were in Ontario. And you were in a snowstorm. You were snowed in. I remember yeah, vividly. I, I moved rooms. I was in that room last time with my piano. But anyway, yeah, it's nice to see you guys again. And, Very uh, good to see you. Well, look, you're going on tour. And we, we traditionally start these things by, by asking people about the first gigs they ever saw can you remember the first show you ever saw oh yeah it was elton john in um 1976 in rich stadium in buffalo i mean i live really close to buffalo i'm on the border you know and yeah so most of the concerts i saw like the stones and the who were always at rich stadium in buffalo so but anyway i went to see elton john Seventy thousand people, or whatever it was, it was crazy. Very <laughs> yeah. um, intimate experience. Well, it was funny because it was general admission, and my friend and I—we were both like eleven or something—and we were trying to get close to the stage, and we got really near the stage, and then some big guy turned around and said, "Where do you think you're going?" And we got really scared, and we ran all the way to the very back of the stadium, like, <laughs> like Rose Z or something. So Elton John looked like, you know, it looked like an M&M or something from where we were, you know. So, but, and they didn't have the screens and all that on the side, like, which I think is actually better. I don't like yeah. you're paying all this money and you're looking at a big screen all the, all the time. But anyway, that was my first show and I was a huge, El- I was a member of his fan club. So uh, it was very exciting. And my parents had to wait in Buffalo all day for the concert to be over to take, take us home. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they did all day, but anyway, it was, uh, that's great. Uh, that's a great mom. What know. was the fan club send you things in the post? Did you oh, get yeah, that? Yeah. Every month I would get, um, you know, it was like an eight by 10 with his signature on it. And there would be a, a newsletter and saying, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, what he was up to or, 
his likes and dislikes and this and that. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, and I, I never really stopped being a fan. And, you know, and now, you know, and then I've got to know him a little bit. We email from time to time. You know, sometimes I'll be like, I'll be listening to one of his records and I'll be like, oh, I wonder what the deal on this song. And I'll send an email and he usually gets right back. Or, or, oh, really? What do you, you ask about how it was recorded or something like that? Well, or? I remember I was listening to Blue Moves one time and I was like, yeah, what do you, I haven't heard this record a lot. What do you think? What do you make of this album? And apparently he said it was, said it was one of his favorite albums that, that, he, that he'd made. And, and he said he was just listening to a song called where's the shoe raw or something the night the night before or something and uh, no but he's just been very generous and and actually recently he invited this whole school classroom to his concert in england um and i because i had alerted him to this video of this classroom singing i still i'm still standing and it during the cold during the pandemic they were all on screens and he was really moved by it and yeah and so anyway um all I did was send him a link to this video I saw and he went and, you know, invited the whole class to his recent show there, wherever it was. And, um, Fantastic. Anyway, but he's, he's just always been, you know, and it's just surreal for me for, you know, because I was such a fan to be on the other end of it in a way where he's been very kind of supportive of what I've been trying to do, you know. So that's the first show you saw. What was the first time you got up and played in front of people? It would have been at, well, I used to sing, um, this probably doesn't count, but I used to sing for my relatives when I was a kid. Um, you know, hey, everybody, Ronnie's going to sing, or, you know, and I would sing something like, uh, you know, Ben by Michael Jackson, or I would sing, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I used to do, uh, my grandparents loved Don Ho, and I used to do Tiny Bubbles, you know, that song. Um, it was like a, I don't know. It, big hit in America, anyway. Maybe it wasn't that. No, we, I don't know that one. Um, but uh, but then uh, in in high school, I think my, it was my last year. They had a variety show, and um, and I was and I kind of closed the show. I did a uh, your song actually by Elton John, and I had a friend of mine who actually could. Pl I was just learning learning the guitar. But I had a friend of mine play it on piano, and so I just I stood and sang it with my guitar. And the next day, I had so many notes in my lockers from girls and and stuff that had never happened before. And I was kind of like, "Whoa!" It, that, it was, yeah, it was, a light bulb goes on. <laughs> <came on. laughs> They always then, say that the most powerful aphrodisiac is <laughs> simply hanging a guitar around your neck. That's right. Oh, it, was, it was kind of unbelievable. And then, uh, and then when I got out of high school that same year, I was just seventeen, and my brother got me a gig, a, a professional gig at the Lions Tavern in my hometown. Um, and I wasn't even old enough to be in a bar, so I had to get special permission from the government and a letter and all that. And so I was playing December of, of that year, which would have been eighty-one. I was playing my first professional gig and I played the Lions. I was kind of like, uh, I, I became like sort of a local sensation where I was packing them in, but just doing cover songs, you know. Right. And um, But I did that for about six years. What sort of things were you playing? What sort of songs? Well, you know, when I started, my brother Don, my he was already playing there in a band. And he said, you know, you're going to have to, if you play here, you know, you're going to have to learn uh, Neil Young and CCR and the Beatles and all this stuff. So uh, I borrowed, uh, you know, I took albums out from the library and I borrowed some of his records. And so, so, yeah, I was just doing all the, 
the songs they're probably still playing in bars, Neil Diamond, you know. And I, and, uh, and I would do a lot of songs, too, that I liked that nobody else knew. I used to do, um, like, Eight Man by the Kinks, you know, or, or yeah, I would yeah. do It's Not True by the Who. And, um, and so I almost had my own little hits in this bar. And, and, and I was so young and had so much uh, enthusiasm. I wasn't, I didn't, I sang terribly back then. I, I didn't know how to sing properly. So I was always blowing my vo- voice out. And I had a very raspy, uh, kind of almost like the cookie monster kind of voice, you know. <laughs> and, um, but, but I was just, you know, and I would do four sets a night. Like it was crazy. And it, but it really? was for me a, a really good education. I gotta say that grounding must you know you must tap into that grounding still nowadays. Do you? I mean, yeah, but, you know, because I was playing for both. You know, basically, I'm playing for drunks, right? And they were. Uh, it was kind of a, a rough bar, and they but they'd be all take very protective of me, you know. And if the cops came in, they'd hide hide me, even though I had permission, you know. But I mean, I mean, if the, if they gave me a drink and I would, and the cops came in, they would sort of, you know, and and um, but. Uh, yeah, but you know, you would get this. I would get this uh, sense if I was playing and I was losing the crowd. I would shift. You know, I would learn to shift the song. Or um, there's certain songs they wanted me to play about three or four times a night, which was sort of annoying. And um, <laughs> you know, but then basically, I just sort when I started to write songs uh, after my son was born. Um, you know, nobody wanted to hear those. You know, and I started to kind of wear out my welcome there towards the end because I, I had a bad attitude. I didn't want to play this song anymore or that song anymore. And um, and, it, and then I moved to Toronto with, where it was the opposite. You know, if you played live, they wanted you to hear, they wanted to hear originals, mm-hmm. but, but in my hometown, and it's probably still this way. You just play, you know, you play the hits. Yeah. yeah. So, well, so who when you watched on stage and, and, and felt influenced by and felt you've, you've borrowed aspects of the way they perform. Sorry, of, of, of the way who performed? Sorry, no, just one of those. Anyone you'd seen on stage that influenced the way you perform? That you learned anything about, you know, stagecraft or whatever. Oh, I see. Well, you know, um, I knew early on uh, when I started to write songs that because um, I had rock bands when I was a teenager, we jumped around, yeah. and, and I just wasn't good at that, you know. And I and I started getting into people like Gordon Lightfoot and going to see him play. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And Leonard Cohen and that. And I just like how they just stood there, you know. They say yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they made the kind of music that wasn't about jumping up and down. And, and that's fine. I love Mick Jagger and all that. But I just... I just wanted to try to make music that I could, you know, even Dylan just stands there, you know I mean? It's yeah. just, you know, it's all about the songs and the people I think that come see me. I don't think I'm a great performer or anything. You know, I love people who are, I love Freddie Mercury and all those sort of, like that at Bowie, it was incredible, Peter Gabriel, but that's not, I can't do that. So, yeah. So for me, there's, you know, there's this, you have those, those people who are very visual artists and you have the people you know, like Johnny Cash or whatever, who just stood and sang, and that was good enough for the people who were into them. And um, so, but it was those people, and I was only 21 and at the, when I started writing songs, but I already, I, I already knew, I, I felt kind of like an old soul in that, and that it sort of pointed me in the direction, you know, of what kind of songwriter I wanted to be. And it, initially it was hard because when I got into Lightfoot, I thought, is it okay for me to still like Harry Nilsson and the Kinks? You know, there was this sort of inner turmoil because I it's it, I felt like Leonard and Gore were doing kind of serious music and all this other stuff that I loved as a teen, even Elton John. I thought maybe this stuff is frivolous compared to. Uh, I mean, it didn't take me long to realize that it's all great, it's all brilliant, and and uh, Queen is brilliant, and you know everyone. Uh, I love, I have a lot of guilt. I love ABBA, you know, I love all that stuff. So, so I just became, I just realized, well, uh, yeah, it's all great. And I just have to try to find my voice and, you know, and be, uh, you know, true to myself. Whatever. So, so w when you're, you're touring, uh, this year and you come into the UK, do you, do you play any covers or is it entirely your own material? Well, the, with the the more albums I do, it gets harder to squeeze in a cover because I have, uh, you know, I'm trying to do songs for my new album, you know, uh, and I, and as well, I'm, you know, there's certain songs I'm expected to play, and then there's a, a, then the rest is just stuff I try to like. I try to do songs maybe that I didn't get to on my last tour, um, but even so, um, I, I usually try to do at least one cover. So, you know, maybe, and oftentimes it's in the uh, encore if there is one, um, you know, but, or, you know, I was thinking I love Christine McVie and I thought maybe I'd do one of hers or something, for example. Right. But, but yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I generally leave my covers to my YouTube channel, Ron Boy, where I've done over a thousand covers, you know, right. I don't know if you know about this channel, but it's uh, and I just do them in my kitchen and my bathrobe and whatever. But it's my own little personal tribute to all the the songs that I love, and um, you know. But but yeah, sometimes because you also I don't want to play, uh, you know, three hour shows or anything. I try to I don't like to play more than you know ninety minutes or eighty minutes, and so. Anyway, and at the moment, I've been looking at the set list I'm working on, and there's like almost 30 songs, you know? Right. And thankfully, I mean, all my songs are quite short, but still it's... Uh, anyway, I'm just trying to, you know, I try to do at least one from each record, and I try to make sure that, uh, you know, hopefully everyone uh, 
you know, got their money's worth. Right. So what kind of preparation do you do prior to touring? Do you, do you go in a rehearsal room and, and play? If I have, when I have a band, I do. Yeah. With the band, we'll rehearse, we'll have a rehearsal space and we'll not, you know, and we'll rehearse maybe one day or two days and then, then we go. But, you know, since I've just been touring solo lately, I just, I just have a room over there with my piano and, and I kind of set it up like, uh, uh, you know, a show and I'll just, and I'll run through the show. And then, because some of the venues or most of the venues, I think will have pianos. So I can put my guitar and go over to the piano, play a few. And then, um, so it gives me, it's just, uh, for me, it's good to practice every day just so that when it comes time to, to do the show, <clears throat> I don't have to think about it very much. Right. Um, but every day I'm I'm playing songs and then another song will occur to me that I should do. So then I have to cross this other, you know, find one to cross out or get rid of, you know, put this one in and that. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a puzzle, you know, it's a bit of a um, dilemma, but I think it's a fun, sort of a fun challenge, I think. And you're doing four shows in, in Ireland and one in, in the, the, the Union Chapel in, in Islington. So why four shows in Ireland? But Limerick, well, I think, and Galway and Dublin? Oh, I think I'm doing more like nine shows in Ireland. Oh, nine. All right. Yeah, I mean, we're doing like, uh, yeah, Cork, Galway, uh, Dundalk, Limerick, um, Belfast. I mean, there's a whole slew of them. I think we're playing Kilkenny or something. Anyway, um, and it's weird. I mean, I've always done relatively well in Ireland and, you know, and the UK. I mean, I do better over there than I do here, you know. So, um and the last few years, I've only ever done one show in Ireland when in the past, in the 90s, I would do these top to bottom kind of tours. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, and some of those are just little pubs. And, and then I'm playing the Olympia Theatre in Dublin, which is uh, one of my favorite venues over there. Um, and then I think <clears throat> there's about six UK shows, if I'm not mistaken. So it's just a, it's just a little, quick little uh tour around there and um I, I was a little worried about coming back so soon because I, I was just there last march but um but anyway you know with the new album out it's it seems kind of like the thing to do so so you're looking forward to it <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm it's this stuff now this period of me now that it's i find stressful when my wife is my road manager and she's booking everything hotels and flights and i have uh before i come over there i have this huge tour of the u.s and where you have to drive everywhere, there's, you know, I haven't played there since 2015, so I'm a bit nervous about that tour. Um, and then I'm just thinking about how tired I'm going to be at the end of it, because it's about oh, about 50 shows in all by the time I get home. So hopefully my health will be good and my voice will will be, you know, will hang in there. And, uh, uh, yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. But at the, uh, I think once I'm there, once I'm backstage, in the zone, so to speak, you know, then I'll be, uh, you know, then it's a great feeling, but now it's just all this worrying and anticipation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what's the best, uh, the way we usually finish these things is what's the best live show you've ever seen? The best live show I've ever seen? Mm, yeah. Mm. You know, I gotta say it was Cat Stevens a few years ago. Mm. He played, uh, Toronto, you know, and I, I've sort of got to know him a little bit, too, because he was working at a studio in London where I was making a record. 
And I remember I came home from tour and I, and the night I, I came home or the day I came home, I, I noticed that Yusuf was playing Massey Hall. And so I sent him a message thinking uh, he's, there's no way he's going to get this message or anything. And then about an hour later, he, he wrote and invited my wife and I to the show. And it was really high security and everything. And it was sold out in about five minutes, this show. And um, and he hadn't played Toronto since, I think, 75. And this is... Oh, my God, amazing. So the people were super excited. But when I got to the theater, he'd given us front row seats, like center front row, <laughs> sitting with his, with his wife, you know. And and the before the show even started, it was exciting because the stage was set up like a train station. There was like a train platform with a, a clock tower, and the drum the drums had a picket fence around it with a tree behind it. And I mean, it just like, I was like, what is this? Is amazing. And then when the show started, he walked through the train station to the front of the stage with his guitar. Um, and played three by himself. The first song he played was um, The Wind. Then he did Here Comes My Baby. And then he, then he did First Cut is the Deepest. That's like the first three songs. Yeah, wow. And, and I don't know. It was just, uh, I've always loved his music. And he looked great. And he sounded exactly the same. People were just freaking out, you know. So, How did you feel about being in the middle of the front row? That's a kind of odd thing, isn't it? When the performer can see you and knows that you're there. Well, it was nice to, every, every, like, when he first started playing, at one point I got a nod from him, you know. <laughs> and then he him back, uh, you know, and then he came back to Toronto a few years after, and he also brought us back, my wife and I, backstage and um but that was the only the other for me the other best show. I, I was a big Who fan and I saw the Who at the C and E. Um, it was not their first time around after Keith Moon died, but their second time around. And they played this show that in Toronto people are still talking about it. It was like like life changing, you know. And even without Moon, it was like in, incredible. Like and and that as a fan of. Uh, you know, I love the Kinks and the Who and all that stuff. It was just, uh, it was, it was the kind of stuff that of you know heroes. You know, like I just and my my, my whole crew of friends were just on cloud nine for about a year after that show. And I and I, I later on I heard that Townsend was just absolutely wasted that show, but you wouldn't have known it. But like someone that was backstage said he was stumbling around drunk right before the show, but he was incredible. I don't know, he just was on fire that night. So those yeah. two shows are standing. Yeah. That's very good. Well, beautifully described. That's brilliant. Very yeah. good. Well, look, as a, you know, the traditional sign-off, uh, you know, is good luck with the tour. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.